0: I beat my face!
1: Series 10 of Project A+, a special 10-episode series in which we count down to 100. Episode 100,
0: that is. Which also coincides with the end of the show. No. What do you mean?
1: It's not like the death of Project A+, it's not like it ends at episode yeah, but 100. but it's the,
0: it's the end of the regular uh, doing.
1: Yeah. It's the end of the first 100 episodes.
0: So as part of our celebrate season of celebration, we are doing Project A Plus Random Edition where we randomly select uh, two films that we've already covered on the show and we're going to watch them again and then talk about them again. I know, exciting stuff, right? Yep. That's about all there is to it. So I've already plugged in all the stats and everything into the computer. Do you ready to listen to the first movie we're going to watch? Yep. Spin the wheel. All right. Now you get got to answer this. We all put these sound effect here. We all stopped on number 58. Are you excited to see what number 58 is? Number 58. Number 58. What
1: is number 58?
0: Number 58 is the movie... <laughs> 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 what's the part time in Hollywood? What, what, what's the movie? I didn't hear it. <laughs> what's the part time in Hollywood? Really? <laughs> yeah. Can hell
1: I, don't, I really don't have any desire to see that again well you gotta oh. well that's one for you I hope there's one for me in the next choice <laughs> it would be so funny if it was
0: 58 again alright you ready yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> And the other number is number 17. 17 again? <laughs> nope, which is <laughs> 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 the, the, the bonfire of the panties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to say that
0: again either. Well I could I could do the I could do the wheel again if you want me to. It's but just a, two different that goes against the spirit of the game, right? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I don't care. I mean uh, this is fine with me. I think it's funny. We All have right. to do
1: it. There's no we've got no choice in the middle.
0: Alright, so um, I guess get ready for a tough episode on Bonfire the Bandy Sit. Which we did not watch that long ago. Nope. And What's uh, a Fun Time in Hollywood? Great.
1: Uh, do you want to talk about anything else that's been happening in your personal life?
0: Not particularly. You want to talk about anything that's been happening in your personal life?
1: Not particularly.
0: All right, well, let's get right into it then.
1: I'm just going to reuse the song I, I made last time.
0: All right, that's pretty lazy, but... Yeah. Once
1: upon a time, I was young and handsome. Once upon a time, i never heard of Manson. Once upon a time.
0: All right, you once, once upon a time in Hollywood. That's uh, that film we talked about last time. Yeah, so uh, everyone knows what this movie is. It's Quentin Tarantino's, what, ninth film? It's not his tenth film.
1: It is ninth film, that's what I said. You said tenth. You said tenth.
0: No, I didn't. I said ninth.
1: And then after that you said tenth. No. When you were accusing me of saying it. You said it. We both said it.
0: No, I didn't. I said it only in reference to your mistake.
1: That's still saying it.
0: (laughs) But that's not me yet.
1: Oh, so I didn't make a mistake. You didn't make a mistake. I didn't make a mistake. You sh- Shut up.
0: Shut the hell up. <laughs> <All> right, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to recapture that so old you. magic. It's not working. So you, uh, that's because we hate each other now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of the old magic in in the first place, anyway. It was one of us was not into it, and the other person was kind of annoying them. <laughs> that made for great audio. Uh,
0: well, it's impossible to. Uh, we can't force it, though. It doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, you can't force it. Yeah, exactly. So there's no reason to, to try. Mm hmm. Um, so Hugh, uh, you, presumably everybody who listens this, this does what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hollywood is right. Should we ask them? Ow! Uh, open the phone lines. No, no phone lines.
1: Bring, bring, bring,
0: bring. All right, so um, Hugh, uh, I guess the question that sort of attends these episodes is: Did your feelings about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood change at all?
1: <laughs> this could be a short
0: discussion yeah or it could be
1: a drawn out discussion depending on how many notes i've prepared why is the, the amount of notes matter um because if i have notes to sustain me i could go on for quite some time
0: and not if i just stop talking <laughs> if you stop talking i can still talk <laughs> that's not true this this podcast thrives on a back and forth between its two hosts.
1: Do we like have a shared vocal tract or something?
0: Yeah, yeah, we have a shared we have a shared uh, throat and <laughs> uh, other parts. Did that uh,
1: Tom Six guy sew us together? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, shall I answer your question? Did you have a question? Yeah. What, what did think you think of fucking? Yeah. Did change? you like right. it? I cannot tell a lie. I was not bored, nor was I distressed when I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for a second time, despite having exactly no desire to ever do this. In fact, I think the film is better served on the small screen with modified expectations, because I only knew what I disliked about this film, um, and that made it easier to just be carried along and enjoy the parts of the production that I liked. I can't say I revised my initial assessment, however, I still think this is a callow and somewhat conservative film. That it's a bunch of scenes in search of a movie. That uh, the air of self-satisfaction taints even its more successful moments. And that Tarantino has nothing to say about either the America of the time or Hollywood of the time. But, as I said, or as I implied rather, it is nonetheless still watchable. And I think the frustration with Tarantino for me, and certainly this is the case from Kill Bill onwards at least, um, is that he can still command your attention even when the material is thin, even when what he's doing is little more than indulging himself. And, um, and I don't think that strength has abandoned him. So Even when they're quite long, and absurdly long in some cases, I usually don't find them chores to sit through, which I think does count for something. Probably the nicest thing I could say about his uh, latter day efforts. But it's also like listening to him talk, or listening to me talk, perhaps. And I know I've drawn the comparison, I think, on the last episode in which we discussed this film. But it is kind of like being cornered by him at a party, and like you can't escape, and he's telling you a story, and he is commanding your attention. He's made you his captive audience and he can be a compelling speaker because he knows how to communicate, but that doesn't mean he's not a win back. And I think as this film demonstrates and as his last number of films have demonstrated, he has proved himself to be the ultimate win back. I'll pause there and let you interject with something about your experience watching this for, is this the third time you've seen it? No, no, please,
0: please keep going. Fine. <coughs> I'm just going to take my headphones off if that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: but I, so the frustration is you've given your attention to something like this for three hours in this case, or nearly three hours. And you kind of want a more substantial reward at the end of it. So you do leave the film feeling a little bit hollow and, uh, even ripped off a little bit.
0: Oh, you certainly do
1: with once Upon a time in Hollywood in particular, there are points where it does feel like you're going to get something more substantial. And I think the sequence where uh, Rick Dalton has to learn his lines, that whole set piece, is the high point of the film. It is some of DiCaprio's best late career work. And I think if the film had narrowed its scope to what was being portrayed in those sequences, it was more like a, a more intimate portrait of an actor adjusting to a changing industry who had, like, had... A relatively successful television career and you know had fallen on more difficult times and was trying to uh come to terms with the changes around him and the new acting style if it was just kind of more focused on that aspect of the story and it didn't try to broaden its scope to encompass the culture in general or the goings-on with the manson family i think it would have been a much stronger film there are actually a couple of things that bothered me more this time around one of them as i as I mentioned earlier, was how conservative the film feels so in addition to the fact that its portrait of the film and television industry is more affectionate than anything, just the way it essentially equates all hippies with the Manson family rubbed me wrong the wrong way i think um, not that not that there aren't many aspects of the hippie movement that warrant criticism but I do did, I did have an issue with the way that he just positions all of them in opposition to, like, the old-school real man, like, Cliff Booth and the glee with which they are ultimately dispatched at the end of the film. Um, and there was another issue, which is something that I previously defended, I believe. I didn't go back and listen to the episode in which we talked about this film the first time around, but I do remember defending it. Um, and that is to do with the portrayal of Sharon Tate, So there was criticism at the time about the fact that she had no dialogue. And I think that's what, that was what we were pushing back against both of us on the podcast. And I still don't have an issue with that per se. I don't actually mind what he was going for, which is kind of presenting her, um, going about her day-to-day activities on the periphery of the main story, focusing on, um, Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton and also like weaponizing our knowledge of her real life fate you know, to to give the film some tension or a sense of dread. But the presentation of her as this innocent, somewhat idealised figure, I think. Someone who's knockout pretty, but not merely pretty, because she reads Thomas Hardy, makes, for I think, a pretty shallow portrait. It doesn't feel like a snapshot of someone who lived and breathed, which is what I think that Tarantino wanted it to be. She feels kind of burnished of human edges polished until she gleams So I think Tarantino mythologizes her More than he does rescue her from <laughs> history
0: I always love it i I'll get an interject here I always love it when you're um, In terms of your your obviously written in terms of uh, phrase Come up and you're writing and it And it, you try to make them sound like You're just saying them I mean it's, it's all stuff. written like word. I know, I know that's why it's funny <laughs> Um,
1: I said actually not every word, but most word, most words. Yeah,
0: I'm just saying your script, your your script is never more scripty. What do you say things like that? <laughs> she,
1: I don't normally say she feels burnished of humid edges <laughs> in my day-to-day conversation. Man, that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's so mean. That's
0: what, that's what, that's what you should give it another pass. That's what I'm saying.
1: You know what the giveaway that I was reading notes uh, really was? The fact that I completed all my sentences. You made
0: a coherent sentence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: um, on the last um, podcast as well I said that Tarantino would make a better podcaster than filmmaker Or something glib like that But having listened to the three hour Empire podcast he recently <laughs> featured on <laughs> I recount that statement um, I think he'd be a drag as a podcaster as well So there you go That's my feelings about uh, Once Upon a Time Having seen it now twice now, how many times had you seen it before you watched it for this podcast?
0: Uh, I saw it. i watched it twice in theaters.
1: Okay, so this was your third viewing and first at home.
0: <laughs> uh huh. And how was that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Still liked it. That's all I cool. got to say. All right. Let's On fire the vanities. <laughs> yeah. Let's see <move> <laughs> what. Well, we got to do trivia first. <laughs> You know, I'm just I gonna say a little piece real quick. I don't particularly feel like are you with you, because because you know life is short. You're allowed to have your opinions, you. Uh, I don't I don't agree with you, but um, that's okay. And uh, uh, let's put it down <laughs> It's a great film. Um, that's all I have to say. All right, let's move on. Fair enough. Well lucky.
1: All right, <laughs> Thank trivia
0: time. You. <laughs> <laughs> The
1: mastermind is drunk. the
0: Mastermind, the mastermind is drunk. Alright, uh, do do it to go first. Yes. Okay. Besides Sony, Heyday Films in vision wait, of wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, wait. Can I ask you actually ask you a question about Once More Time in Hollywood before we get to trivia? Sorry. Sorry yeah. to backtrack. This is a mess already. But did you like have any different perspective on on it watching it this time around like was there anything you appreciated about it more or was it just about the same experience and you're like yeah this is still a good film that I like yeah
0: I mean this is why this is such a challenging thing because I I really didn't feel any different at all from when we last talked about it so I I don't really have anything else to say It's like that's fine
1: I was just curious as to to whether anything had changed about that particular viewing and uh, the answer is still valid if it's no so there we go.
0: Anyway, trivia time. I may have appreciated it more just because I knew that. <laughs> but uh, I had to watch it as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, you know, watching see and you're like, when, when there's all this like overwritten Tarantino dialogue coming to kind of people's eyes, just, just picturing you watching it and just uh, grimacing, like, ah! Uh, uh, you know, it just brings a, brings a smile to my face. Actually, speaking of the dialogue,
1: um, this is something I hadn't prepared in my notes oh yeah but i will say it nonetheless i appreciated the fact that there is no big dialogue set piece that's true which is usually a given in the closest
0: subject. what you get is like the bruce lee scene is it though yeah i mean that's like a pretty prologue monologue but it's not like a I mean, it's not like the typical tarantino thing which is like taking a oh yeah yeah and discourse
1: yeah that's a, that's a monologue but there's no like there's not yeah, like a no, like, sustained sequence yeah. that is like carried solely on the dialogue. Like the dialogue is more incidental.
0: There's there's not really like a big like Tarantino like moment. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: and like, I, I actually no, like,
0: appreciated that. I think
1: I think it yeah. it had a better vibe for that reason. Yeah, I will say. See,
0: that's that's yeah. what I, that's what I think I appreciate most about this film. It's just it's just a it's just a film that I like to hang out in. You know. I don't disagree with you that there's a reactionary streak, though. I do think it's portrait of, if dumb is a bit more complex than what you suggest. Hmm. But, um, because I think that, you know, when you, when you see like Cliff Booth, there's affinities that he has with the hippies that are not especially like articulated, but there's definitely like a parallel toism to like the life that he leads and the, the way that the Manson family leads to, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's also that, there's also that scene where, um, uh, 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 Sharon Tate picks up that that hitchhiker and they just have like a normal conversation and stuff. So I think there is a bit. Uh, it's a it's a bit more complex. I do agree that uh, obviously Tarantino has no love for the Manson family. And I think maybe the film would have benefited for something that's a little more like nuanced. But at the same token, I don't really have much affection for hippies myself, so I can't really <laughs> say not because of their politics necessarily, but. Um, he's not engaging with, like, the political aspects of it. All he's doing is, like, taking, like, the cultural, like, image of them, you know, so. But I think the problem is not
1: engaging with the political aspect that was there as well.
0: Yeah, but I do think there is some political undercurrent to this. So it just doesn't really engage with it that much. Because, like, there's all these broadcasts that you hear about, like, the Vietnam War and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, he's he's primarily focused on, like, uh, just capturing more the feeling of the film. I mean, this is true of all Tito's films, but they're all like film films, you know, like, I don't, I don't yeah. really think that realism is his goal here at all, you know? Cause like, obviously there's this degree of, uh, simulacra to it. Um, like the way it tries to recreate like certain aspects of LA during that time. But you also get like the obviously like phony stuff, like on the set and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, there's like a, it's like a clash of like faux realism and like pure fantasy, you know? So I don't know. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think I'd appreciate it more as like a hangout vibey kind of film if it didn't feel so self consciously. Um, if it didn't feel like it was so self consciously trying to be that, if you know what I mean? Mm. Which is often the problem I have with what Tarantino is trying, the effects he's trying to achieve.
0: Yeah. I guess I just didn't like. I, I just I don't really feel that, um, you know, try hardness. It feels very like just. Naturally, what he, what he wants, you know what I mean. Like, I, I, hmm. I, it doesn't feel like forced at all to me, you know. So, but that's just a difference of opinion that we have, and uh, that's okay. Sweet. All right. Anyway, so let's get on to trivia. Trivia. Yeah, we had we actually had a conversation about the film, which is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's such a rich uh, film that you couldn't help it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did notice that, like, <laughs> every every female character, I think, gets introduced with her feet, including the, the 10-year-old actress, That I thought was a little weird. Oh, did he show her feet as well? No. Well, the, the way that he introduces, I mean, he doesn't show her feet, but the way that she's introduced, it's like a Western shot where, like, you see her boots and then it, like, pans up, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. I was like, this is a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, uh given Tarantino's obvious fetishism versus the completely desexualized uh, world of the modern blockbuster, I don't I prefer. <laughs> so, what do, what do you think about that, Hugh?
1: What, do you want to say, like Black Widow fucking or, or something? What?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, duh. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, all right, let's do it. mastermind is
1: drunk. Mastermind.
0: Mastermind is drunk. So, uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay. <clears throat> Besides Sony, Heyday Films, and Visiona Romantica, the film company Bona Film Group had a hand in the film's production. Can you tell me from which country they hail? Bonner Film Group. Mm-hmm. Bonner? Bonner. Italy? B-O-N-A. No. The correct answer is China. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, drink up, buddy. <laughs> i have
1: a sip of tea. Cheers. A sip of tea? What the fuck? You almost never have alcohol. Am I supposed to have I'm alcohol? Ha- I'm having alcohol, alcohol right alcohol? now. Yeah, All right, yeah, I'll go and, I, I, I'll go and get some
0: but yeah, it doesn't have to be hard wicker because
1: I said no, I'll, I'll get like a little bit of like that shitty Um, what was that drink? We used to drink? It's terrible think that
0: we used to drink right Right.
1: Oh, I've still got we that don't. bottle. I'll have a little bit of that. Oh god. Give me one second. I'll be back right. to damage myself
0: Damaged
1: I'm back. I can down my punishment now. Cheers.
0: All right. Drink up.
1: Yum. Tastes like gingerbread.
0: <laughs> Tastes like gingerbread vomit. Remember? My turn. Do I remember, do I remember fucking throwing up
1: a bunch? <laughs> Once upon a time in Hollywood cinematographer Robert Richardson has had a long and storied career working multiple times with not just Tarantino but Scorsese and Oliver Stone. His next film currently in post-production, was also made with a director he has worked with before. Can you tell me either the name of this director or the name of the forthcoming film? It's in post-production? Yes. Mm. Pretty generous question right there.
0: (laughs) I don't think so. I'm
1: giving you two options for the answers. That's pretty generous.
0: Can you give me a hint?
1: No. Because the question is generous enough. Uh,
0: I honestly have no idea who else he's worked with. I'm just going to go with that. Uh, this Walking Feet HPV I was I was looking up uh, earlier today, which is come on, come on. Is that right? No. Yeah. What's the answer?
1: Okay, I'll start with the director. The director is Andy Circus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can you guess the film now? Um, the Jungle Book Part Two.
1: No, it is Venom. Let there be carnage. Oh, Venom,
0: Venom, Venom, too. Yeah, let there be carnage. <laughs> really? <laughs> Man, I'm so excited for that movie. <laughs> I, I completely forgot Andy Circus is directing that.
1: <laughs> and he's worked with Andy Circus as director before.
0: Is cinematographer, what do you mean. I
1: mean, like he's worked with Andy Circus when Andy Circus directed his previous film. All
0: right, you ready for number two? Yeah. Can you tell me which famous former child actor auditioned for but ultimately did not receive a role in the film? A child actor?
1: Or did which you say famous former child
0: actor? Former child actor.
1: Ah. Dean Stockwell? No.
0: <laughs> the oh no, no, is, uh, not him. It's he was a child actor.
1: It's too late. Yeah, he was. Russ Tamblin? No. Okay. Uh, um, oh, no, Dean Stockwell was as well, yeah. So. Yeah, they
0: both were. Or maybe Russ Hamlin wasn't. No, Russ Tamlin was. Um. Anyway, the correct answer is Macaulay Culkin. So, <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> drink up. Wow, that's uh, he has
1: kind of Mancini vibes, actually. so that yeah, that would kind work. of
0: surprised he didn't get like as the guy who gets his like teeth kicked out or whatever.
1: Hmm. I mean, he doesn't. He's not young enough to be that character. I don't think. But he does have the right vibe. Especially now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my turn. So I drank. Um, there are some famous children among the Manson girls at Spahn Ranch. Some <laughs> famous children. Including Harley Quinn Smith, daughter of Kevin. Mm-hmm. Can you name the daughter of another famous Hollywood figure? Yes, Maya Who Hawk also appears. <laughs> what? What'd you say? Maya Hawk. <laughs> No, no, no. You haven't let me finish. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Can sorry. you name the daughter of another famous Hollywood figure who also appears and whose father has previously worked with Kevin Smith?
0: Um, I feel like I looked this up, and I've already forgotten. I don't know. Um, I, I honestly have no idea. Sorry. It is Rumor Willis. <laughs> really? Yeah. His father has also worked with uh, Tarantino, too. That's right. All right. Well, that's uh, zero for two for me. All right. And me, too. (laughs) All right. (laughs) This is my favorite question. Can you tell me which former Scream Queen has a minor role in the film? And for a bonus, which franchise she is most associated with?
1: I think I read this, and it's like gone out of my head. Damn it!
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't even have a guess. Answer is Danielle Harris, and she was in Hollywood's f- or Halloween's four, five, and five. <laughs> okay,
1: I would not have guessed that. So that's all right. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I must have been thinking of something else. All right, my last question for you, mm. and the last question uh, for this round of trivia. What is Quentin Tarantino's middle name?
0: Oh, I feel like I've knew. I known this at some point. God, I have no idea. Uh, Phyllis. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Jerome. Ah, uh, you know what? I did know that. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> so zero for three for both of us. <laughs> All right, uh, shall we move on to... Um, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Bonfire the Vanities.
1: All the media is fucked. All the newspapers are rubbed with scandal.
0: And everyone's
1: corrupt. They're vandalism. The public trust.
0: Do we need to introduce this or do we know what it is already? Quick,
1: let's quickly introduce it. It's by Brian De Palma. It's based on a Tom Wolfe novel of the same name. Yep. Uh, and it was a notorious flop. And the reason that we covered it on Project A Plus was because we were doing a project on the lowest rated
0: films on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. All right, Hugh. So did your <laughs> did your uh, <laughs> opinion about uh, Bonfire of the Vanities change much between viewings? Um,
1: I mean, no, I will say this was, this was very difficult to sit through a second time.
0: I would agree with that a
1: bit. It felt like it went on forever. It felt like it was 10 times longer than Once Upon Time in Hollywood somehow.
0: Um, which is a compliment uh, to Tarantino again. For some reason... I uh, rated this three stars on Letterboxd with I last feeling. I must uh, say I have no idea what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a film that kind of puts a why to the auteur theory to some degree. Right. <laughs> and I'll say it like I'll put it like this because, you know, this 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 movie fucking sucks. It's racist. It sucks. It's not funny. Yeah, It's terrible. It's terrible. And, um, you know, I, I think of one of the big precepts of the Auteur theory is that an Auteur is supposed to elevate the material that they <laughs> have, have uh, you know, that, that they bring their skills to, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, in fairness to Napama, the material here is, is god-awful, you know. It's, it's absolutely terrible. Yep. So it's hard to blame him too much. And, you know, and he does try to direct it as much as he can. It's hard to really blame him necessarily, you know. And I, maybe if he had gotten his way with, like, casting some of that other stuff, like... The movie would have been more interesting, but it's really bad, so who knows? Um, Willis is terrible. Tanks is terrible.
1: Right. I, I'm going to push back, actually, because something did a- occur to me this time around that I don't think I articulated um, after viewing it for the first time, or I don't think I appreciated. But I actually enjoyed Bruce Willis's presence in this film quite a lot. It <laughs> was the only thing I enjoyed
0: about... This film. (laughs) I I I I would say I would say I enjoyed it. But I mean this is like clearly this is the period where he just stopped giving a fuck about anything, you know?
1: No, but that's that's why I enjoyed it and that's why it kind of works in the context of a bomb, because at this point in his career, you know, he already gives off the impression that he'd rather be in his trailer. (laughs) <laughs> and that, combined with, like, the character's inherent cynicism and sense of humor, mm. kind of makes him the perfect audience surrogate, <laughs> wandering through this terrible narrative, like, alternately bored and half amused. <laughs> so, on that basis, it kind of works, like, on an extra textual level, it, I it guess. It'd be
0: better if it was a, a better, better fill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you, but he's—he's not good necessarily. But he does fit what he's—he's miscast. He's woefully miscast,
1: clearly. And like the Palmer didn't want him. And he also didn't—he also didn't want Hanks. What were the, the casting options? There was John Cleese was one of them because he was because the character's supposed to be British.
0: Yeah, and the other one was um, uh, Jack Nicholson, I think, which is which
1: Jack Nicholson. Is yeah, and 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 Steve Martin was uh, considered for the, the Tom Hanks
0: character as well. Which, I mean, I don't think Martin would have done that much better. I do think that De Palma's desire to have Sean with Calstar would have been great. <laughs> See, that would make this movie 100% better. True. I didn't
1: think, I, I maybe we said this last time, I can't remember again, but um, I don't think Tom Hanks is like that miscast. No. It It doesn't quite work, but there is something about, he does bring a certain quality that does kind of work with the character, I think.
0: Yeah, I I I agree with that, but I do think it puts the limitations of his actor ability, you know. Yes, yes, I think that's right. I think in the film, I think the film could make be better if it was more cynical about him, you know, and like just f- had the courage of his convictions to make him just an absolutely awful person, which he is, you know. Like the problem is, is that like in the film, you know, I mean, De Palma, I kind of talked about this if, if at least if you read the Wikipedia pages, they kind of sand off some of the edges, you know. And uh, it definitely it definitely makes it feel like they want him to be a hero, or like it's just it's just a, it's just a strange film because like on one hand he like you know he's totally unlikable he's like this despicable person, but then you're supposed to sympathize with him to some degree. It's like oh look at how this man fell such great heights, you know?
1: Yeah, it does not it does not work at all. And that was actually something that at least if you can trust the interviews he did around the time of the film, which you obviously can't always do because that's part of the press kit. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, De Palma talked about the fact that they consciously moved away from some of the aspects of the novel, where basically every character in the novel is despicable, portrayed as awful. <laughs> well, it would have been better. <laughs> and in this film, one thing that he said he wanted to do, or someone wanted to do at least, maybe the screenwriter, I don't know, um, was have that parallel narrative where, or parallel trajectory of the characters, where mm. um, Bruce Willis is the journalist. Uh, starts off with some integrity maybe yeah and then and but nothing of material worth like he's a failure yeah and then by the end of the film he's like gained all the wealth and trappings of fame and whatever and in exchange for his soul right and it's supposed to be the reverse with tom hanks character who starts off with the wealth but no soul and then by the end he's lost all that like he's lost all his high society friends and his wealth he hasn't really lost his wealth honestly but whatever no um he's lost his job i guess yeah. um and then by the end he's gained his soul i don't see how he's gained his soul by the end of this yeah film.
0: by <laughs> faking a tape <laughs>
1: exactly like he doesn't do anything of like integrity that really is not self-serving
0: yeah i i, I don't at that that uh point if you're making it, it does not make any sense at all in the context it doesn't of <laughs> It's not like uh, Willis's character is portrayed as having any sort of soul. Like he just seems like the same like cynical bastard the entire way through, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say there is one great scene in this movie that uh, that caused me to burst out laughing. The pissing the pants. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it is great. Yeah. <laughs> it was even funnier that Rex I knew it was coming. You
1: know, it was funny for me as well because you had particularly pointed that out last time, so I was I was waiting for it too.
0: I beat my face.
1: I don't know if this, yeah, is, a, this is something I- inherent in the original novel, because I don't have any desire to read it, but it's that type of satire that comes from someone who either profits by or is not harmed by the, the corrupt institutions yeah. that it's attempting to satirize, right? Yeah,
0: because it really is just like, oh, the world's corrupt, what can you do?
1: Yeah, like it mocks instead of attacks or sneers instead of probes, and the conclusion <laughs> is... Everyone's corrupt,
0: okay, don't okay, worry Mr. about it. Mr. Okay, Mr. okay, Mr. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, it really feels like the moral of it seems to be is like everyone's corrupt, so you might as well just be corrupt too. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's terrible. That sucks. <laughs> like, fuck, fuck you, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I really think, I mean, De Palma's like a pretty political filmmaker. If you get down to it, I think this is like one of his like most vapid films in terms of its politics, you know? Oh yeah, certainly. It definitely does not have the same like scorched earth feeling as something like uh, Casualties of War or uh, High Bomb, which are both great, great movies. But this is just like, it's like totally toothless. It's boring. It's not funny. Just It just sucks. It's it's way too long. It's very
1: difficult to watch twice.
0: <laughs> it is <laughs> I did, like, the the opening sequence that's, like, the time lapse of New York. I thought it was pretty good. So, that's something. But, yeah, none of the performance. I mean, I, I think Melody Griffith's, like, kind of fun. Yeah, I agree. Um, but she's, like, the only, like, bright spot in terms of, like, actually enjoying the performances as they are, like, presented. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, zero, out of zero, zero out of five is what I will would- <laughs> give
1: he should have just, like, the Palmer should have just put, like, a heist in the middle of it or something. Just <laughs> <laughs> He can go back to his old toolkit and just at least, like, have some tension or something.
0: What <laughs> he does his, like, drastic kill, you know, the sequence where they're, they're just, like, seduced each other at the uh, art museum? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just made tension out of nothing if you really want to, you know? All right, should we uh, get into trivia? Let's do it.
1: Mind is drunk, Mastermind. Mastermind
0: is drunk. Right, uh, do you want to go first uh, yep
1: Mary Alice who plays the mother of the hospitalized youth in the film mm-hmm. at the center of the court case also appeared in another film featured on Project A+ can you name this film? <laughs>
0: Oh, oh boy. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't think I can.
1: It is, of course, 1990s To Sleep With Anger, directed by Charles Bennett. Oh, God.
0: I was going to say that.
1: <laughs> she's great in it. That was her previous
0: film, in fact. I was, uh, the reason I didn't say it was because I was like, oh, if this is not right, it's going to sound like I'm a racist. <laughs> but you haven't seen to sleep with anger no i haven't i actually thought about watching it this week but said i watched some other stuff um are you ready for my oh i guess i gotta take a drink take a drink okay this is actually a kind of a softball so uh, who was the original director attached to bonfire the vanities i did read this mike nichols you're right yeah i'll take a drink but other two were hard, so <laughs> best best be ready.
1: Uh, well, I have a softball, too, actually. Hmm. What is the name of the famous book written by Julie Salomon about the film's troubled production? Uh, oh, my God. It's The Devil's Candy? I'll give you that. What's it called? What's it does it called? have a subtitle as well, but it doesn't matter. I think The Devil's Candy is enough. The Devil's Candy, colon, The Bonfire of the Vanities Goes to Hollywood is the full title, but... Devil's Candy wins.
0: Yes, 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 yes. All right, so you each got one. I can take this. I'll take a drink. All right. You ready for um, question number two? Yep. Bob of the Vanities was nominated for a number of Golden Raspberry Awards, but ultimately did not walk away with any. Can you tell me either of the two comedies that ended up winning... The Golden Raspberry for Worst Picture of 1990. A bad
1: comedy from 1990.
0: Hmm. Either of two bad comedies that ended up tying for Worst Picture. So I don't know if that was like Weekend at Bernie's 2 by then or not. No, that's just, that's that's not right. I'll give you another guess just because it's... You know, I'm being generous.
1: Because there's two options. Um mm-hmm. Hmm. No, nah, no, nah, that's all right. I can't even think of another bad comedy from that year. All right. Top of my well, head.
0: the correct answer is either The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which, of course, starred Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. And I believe it's an InXS cameo, too. Hmm. Um, and the other one is "Ghost Can't Do It, which is a Bo Derrick comedy that co-stars uh, our great president, or former president, Donald Trump. Okay, I
1: I haven't heard of either of
0: those, so... I had no chance. Uh, the, you know the other films that were nominated for uh, Worst Picture that year? Mm-hmm. Okay, Bonfire of the Vanities, like we already said. Rocky 5, and can you guess which of your f- one of your favorite musicians' films is nominated for Worst Picture for this year? Graffiti Bridge. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> Graffiti Bridge is great. Yeah. I, I don't doubt it. All right. Um, your turn. I'll just have a drink.
1: Okay, my final question Mm. regarding Bonfire of the Vanities. Michael Christopher, who is credited with the screenplay for this film, was also involved involved in another Bruce Willis production as an actor. Can you name that film? (laughs) As an actor? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hudson Hawk.
0: No, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance. Mm. No. All right. Right, here's the question to see if we, uh, we tie here. You ready? Mm-hmm. Saul Rubinek has a major role in the film. Can you tell me which action franchise he has had a role in multiple entries? Right, I, can give you, I can give you a clue if you want. Yes, please. Uh, he does not play the same character in these multiple entries.
1: <laughs> uh, Fast and Furious?
0: No, the correct answer is the death wish
1: movies. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yep, yeah. I I like him, actually, as an actor. Yeah, he's, he's fine. He's not good in this. Like, the role is not good in this, but I think he's a good actor. I actually think he was misserved on Frasier uh, in his latter appearances. Hmm. They did the character dirty.
0: Hmm. All right, Ash, should we move on to um,
1: (laughs) bonus features? Yep. (coughs) Bonus features, bonus, bonus features. Bonus features, bonus, bonus
0: features. I watched quite a few films, though um, some of them were rewatches, so I won't go too deep into them. I watched *The Stranger*, Orson Welles's uh, Nazi-themed noir, and then I watched *The Stranger* again uh, with a commentary track. Uh, pretty good little flick. I watched a director. Okay, actually, here's here's a uh, thing
1: <laughs>
0: of yours. So I watched a um, film by one of your favorite directors, uh, Billy Wilder. Uh, could you guess which film it is that I watched <laughs> of his? Um, Levante. I don't know. No. Oh, no. Nice try. Uh, Give give me another one.
1: Um, That film starting with B that everyone hates?
0: A little more obscure.
1: Um, A foreign affair?
0: Uh, No, the correct answer is uh, a film uh, variously titled Death Bill slash Nazi Concentration Camps. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Which is a a 20-minute documentary film he made uh, that uh, is basically just edited uh, together uh, footage of concentration camps um, after they've been liberated that was shown in Germany and in the United States. Hmm. Um, and uh, it's extremely depressing, <laughs> as you might imagine. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but there is undoubtable historical value to force yourself to watch something like that, I think. So uh, I don't know if I would recommend it necessarily, but. And you think that everyone should be forced to gaze upon the image and and realize the absolute uh, worst if you be editing. So there you go. That's my recommendation for you. <laughs> so it's not like a pizza movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it can be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I rewatched Seven Samurai. Uh, which is just, oh, really? Just, just a great film. You know, sometimes you go into watching uh, these masterworks, right? And you're going to be like, okay, whatever. You know, it's it's, a, it's like you feel like you're checking off a box to something. Mean, even if I've already seen Samurai. But, uh, you know, it's a constantly surprising, uh, fully alive epic. And I think it's just simply masterful. I know that you agree with me, so that's good.
1: It's very entertaining because, I, I as you know, I did used to rewatch it, like, weekly at yeah. one point. <laughs> I watched it Which I watched
0: cool. it all in one sitting, only getting up to use the bathroom occasionally. So Good boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched another Japanese film, another classic Japanese film. That, actually, this is the first film by one of the big, like, three Japanese directors that uh, I've seen. Yes, I watched Ugetsu or Ugetsu Monogatari. Wow. Um, Great which film. You have, seen. You want, uh, uh, you have one, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes that you have is about watching that and, and, uh, <laughs> in tech Francaise and understanding about half of it, so... <laughs>
1: Oh, less than. Uh, So you're one (laughs) up on me. You've watched it with English subtitles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I actually understood what was happening. Uh, But, absolutely great film. I don't even. uh, Sometimes you watch a movie like this, you just don't even know what to say about it. It's just so evocative, so haunting, so beautiful. And uh, it's, it's really great. I highly recommend watching it. Um, I watched a Korean film called Save the Green Planet, which I thought was mm-hmm. evidently enjoyable, which is this absolutely bizarre film about this um, psychopathic, well, I would say loner, but he does have a girlfriend, man who is hooked on um, basically an Adderall stand-in who uh, is convinced um, that certain, um, <laughs> there's an alien conspiracy to um, basically seed the human race with alien DNA and that only he can uh, put a stop to it. Uh, And so what he does to do that is he captures the CEO of a major company and holds him in his uh, bunker and tortures him for (laughs) the entire uh, two hour running time, basically. Um, This is uh, extremely strange, very uh, disturbing, but, uh, in that sort of like classic new Korean cinema style, uh, funny and tonally, um, let's say, multivalent. Uh, it has one of the best, uh, just what the fuck, indies That's that's out there. I think um, really enjoyed this a lot. It does have kind of a juvenile feel at some points, but I think it is the the non-so strangeness of the director's vision is enough to overcome those sorts of uh, feelings. And the fact that he, uh, unlike some other movies that have, like, you know, you, you you read the box or you read a description of Netflix and it's like, oh, you know, oh, man, this movie sounds so crazy. Well, uh, I, don't like, I don't like films like that. Uh, this, the director fully commits to the premise that he's established, and uh, I think it's really uh, worth a watch. So uh save the replay it and it also has like you know uh you could probably make an interesting like class reading of it if you really wanted to um but you also don't have to do that so <laughs> good stuff good because i don't want to yeah uh, the last one i watched was a little movie called the testament of dr babuza mm-hmm. uh, because i've been reading this uh autobi- or not autobiography this um biography of fritz long called um Fritz Long, The Nature of the Beast, and I wanted to re-watch this one, which is probably my favorite of his films, and it is a thrilling, strange, and haunting movie about um, <laughs> the titular character uh, hypnotizing people and um, trying to create anarchy on Earth, and uh, I find it to be unsettling, uh, and, and Long is a, a master director, despite the fact that he... Uh, possibly killed his (laughs) ex-wife, I think it's... You know, that's okay. Because he made great movies like uh, The Test of Dr. Babuza. So that's it. Fair enough. What have you got for us, Mr. Bonus Features?
1: Uh, I watched a few films. Um, Most of them were re-watches, or at least half of them were. Um, The first one is a film we've already mentioned on this podcast, To Sleep with Anger, from 1990. Charles Burnett. One of my favorite films, and I'm really glad that uh, this podcast introduced it to
0: me because
1: mm. um, maybe I wouldn't have come across it otherwise um, you made me watch it for one episode right
0: yeah I did and what did you make me- oh yeah Taipei story that's a good movie yeah I try to think of uh if I have any movies like that, that the podcast made me watch and I enjoy, I enjoy it I I enjoyed and changed my understanding of film probably
1: not The two that stand out for me that I'm most happy that this podcast introduced me to is
0: that and Wings, I think. Uh, I would say probably Ghost of Bars, actually, is the film that I wouldn't have watched (laughs) because of the podcast.
1: No, but But I would have watched
0: watched that outside of the podcast, you know what I mean? I really don't think I would have, so that counts for me. I think um, also... What's the second of the uh, Coker trilogy? Was it Through the Olive Trees? No, Wife and Nothing More. That's another one that I never would have mm. watched on my own that I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I know one for you, actually. Wanda, right? Oh, yeah. Wanda. That's good. Um, no, I Though I think I would have watched that without it because one of my friends is a really big fan of it, so I bet he would have mm. convinced me to watch it at some point. Um, Diary of a Shinjuku Thief. <laughs> War Machine. Uh, Just the owl. I mean, we should re re rewatch that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's about it. Um, So I've already
1: talked badly about To Sleep With Anger once. I should probably not uh, make that same mistake again. But kind of following on from what you said, I think the more I like a film, the more difficult it is to express exactly why I like it, unless I was actually tasked with writing about it and I spent time really thinking about it. I find it difficult to, like, improvise about films I really like because they kind of hit me in a different way. It's not just, like, a straight intellectual level where you understand exactly why it's working on you, you know what I mean? At least if it's really good, I think. And this does transcend all the elements that uh, went into making it, even as all those elements are exceptional anyway. Especially, um, I think, um, Danny Glover's performance. Uh, as, as I talked about last time, he's not an actor that I was uh, ever that much of a fan of from the limited exposure I had to his work, usually in, like, trash like the Lethal Weapon franchise. Well, you used
0: to see his politics, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I hate his politics.
0: Yeah. You, you hate labor movements since.
1: Yeah. But, like, to That's sleep, like, he had, the, the thing that put me off him as an actor in some of the roles that I had seen, usually pretty mediocre films, so it's not necessarily his fault, but, like, there was kind of like a sanctimonious quality in the way that he carried himself. Mm. Um, and that's kind of weaponized in this film in a really effective way. He puts in an amazing performance. It's one of, it's one of the best performances um, that I can name, I think. And everyone's really good in the film. Uh, we talked about Mary Ellis in the context of. Um,
0: I believe mean that she's not that good at it. Well,
1: she's fine for what the film is asking awesome her to do, yeah. but she's barely in the film. Uh, the Rockies. Bonfire She's, she's excellent here, it's, show, it's so sharply observed, like you really see his kind of documentary background um, or the DIY kind of slash hybrid documentary background, um, even in the context of a more uh, conventional kind of narrative structure in the case of this film. Um, I, I think it's an amazing film and um, you should watch it. I also watched another Charles Burnett film. Uh, this time, a 12-minute short from 1995 that I believe was like commissioned for French television or something called When It Rains. Um, the reason I watched this in particular is um, kind of bizarrely, Jonathan Rosenbaum put it on his top 10 list of favorite films of all time for one list mm. at some point. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it was on his sight and sound list, but it was on some... Or maybe it was, I can't remember. It was on some list mm. that he made, which is... A, a strange honor to award a film that is only 12 minutes long. Um, well, that's why, you, yeah,
0: that's why Jonathan Rosenbaum is a Chad and we're virgins.
1: That's right, exactly. And you, you, if you watch it with the context of that, like, oh, this is going to be one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life, it probably does it no favors, really. Because um, it feels like a very small, uh, intimate film and a, and, a, and a very simple story that it's telling. Um, but I nonetheless really enjoyed. The film for what it was and it, and it did make me curious to revisit it as well it is only 12 minutes after all That's uh-huh. no skin off my nose um and i really like it's clearly like low budget um and shot with maybe like a 16 mil camera uh and i really liked the the uh the visual st- the side of it um as well as the way it integrates poetry and jazz and documentary um good stuff uh, I also rewatched uh, Beau Trevay, so To Sleep with Anger and Beau Trevet were the same uh, order that I made around Christmas time um, from a company that supplies UK editions of Criterion films. So I picked those up because they they're on special. Um, I liked Beau Trevet even more this time around. Good film. And even knowing that the ending is coming, still like flaws flaws you, which is kind of an astonishing feat. Um, it still makes me cry, but an amazing film. It, like doesn't put a foot wrong at any point. It's kind of astonishing.
0: No, yeah. yeah, it's like perfectly crafted for sure.
1: And I yeah, I like it even more now actually. And last night, I think I watched The King of Comedy. I was kind of falling asleep. Mm. Um, this is a film that I had watched ninety uh, percent of in <laughs> university, I think, and for some reason I never saw the ending. Maybe I had to catch a bus. I don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, this time around, I watched it and I was kind of falling asleep. So maybe this is not a fair viewing, but I did manage to see the end of it. Wasn't it actually a huge fan? I thought it was okay. I kind of found it a bit like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> if you you're, know talking
0: about the Steve, you're talking about the Stephen Chow film, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's what I <laughs>
1: um, I found it kind of lame. I will say. That's my review of The King of Comedy. Lame. Lame. I want something more hard edge like The Joker.
0: Lame. Yeah, Joker is a much better film. All right, uh, what else did you watch? Is that it? That's it. All right, great. Well, that's the end of the podcast, I guess. <laughs> you think it was a good episode? Amazing episode. All right, what do we got next time, Hugh? Uh,
1: you sent it to me. Let me have a look. Uh, apparently, we are redoing the very first episode of Day Plus, I think. An episode that we recorded but never aired due to its mediocre quality. We're going to do a second take as veterans of the form. And we are going to look at the films Mute, directed by Duncan Jones, released by Netflix. Yes! And Black Panther, featuring the late Chadwick Boseman.
0: Alright, well, uh, goodbye everybody. Goodbye. Of <laughs> i